Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Stars Show where we celebrate not only consciousness and action, but some of the best writers you may not have heard about yet. I'm Miriam Knight, the publisher of New Consciousness Review, a website and magazine where we review many of the books and films contributing to the global shift in consciousness. With the pace of awakening speeding up here on Rising Stars, I will be introducing you to two or three of these authors each show. I think you'll find their perspectives intriguing at the least, and they just might add a few more pieces to the puzzle of who we are and all we can become. So let's get to our first guest. Our first guest is Dave Markowitz. Welcome, Dave. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Now, Dave is a medical intuitive who has helped thousands on their journey toward wholeness. He specializes in working with clients who've done lots of healing and spiritual growth, but haven't yet seen tangible, long-lasting improvements. Dave can intuit if your pains and illness aren't your own, or if they're, they may be the end result of an untrained intuitive with empathic sensitivities. His five-step process helps highly sensitive persons prevent, identify, and release empathic illness so that you can thrive in a world that typically doesn't understand you. How many can relate to that? He has shared the lecture bill with Deepak Chopra and several New York Times bestselling authors have endorsed his work. So he put all of this wisdom together in a lovely book called Self-Care for the Self-Aware, Healing for Highly Sensitive People. Dave, welcome again. Great to be here again. <laughs> now, I know a bit of your backstory, but it's really intriguing. So I wonder if you could tell our listeners how you discovered that you were empathic. Well... I uh, was new in town. I moved from New York to Portland. The spirit said, go west, young man. I, of course, said no. Uh, but you can fight with the spirit and you lose. Um, but I actually won in the long run. So I was here and I didn't know a lot of people. And someone invited me to a friend of a friend's birthday party. And then I said, sure, it'd be great to meet new people, see what's happening in Portland. And I then found out it was a party bus tour going to seven bars in seven hours. I hadn't, I hadn't drank really since college. And uh, I guess that's what you do in college, or at least here in the States. That what we, that's what we do. And I realized that I wasn't good at it, so I didn't do it again. And uh, But interestingly enough, being in this bar environment, I got drunk drinking nothing but water. I didn't, you know, I at the end of the evening, I literally walked outside to try to hail a cab. And I, I put my arm up like I would do in New York at any time. And basically what came out of my mouth was something to like, so <laughs> in my head, I know I'm saying taxi outside. I'm hearing something very different. I tried it again and I said, Hmm, that's weird. I, I feel like I'm drunk. Well, if I was drunk, I wouldn't be able to walk this straight line. And then I tried to walk a straight line and couldn't even come close. And I said, Oh my goodness, I am drunk. 
uh, I remember what this feels like. <laughs> uh, but as I finally got into the cab, I realized this was what everyone had been telling me. People had been telling me for years that I was an empath. And for whatever reason, I just wasn't ready to own it. I might have said I was sensitive, uh, although that's not what I was, you know, geared to be growing up. That wasn't part of the plan either. Um, but it became very clear that I was highly sensitive. I was empathic. And for some reason in that drunken stupor, it made sense, which is kind of ironic. And I also knew that this awareness was not just for me. This was going to be something very different. And I would say 99 out of 100 people that have contacted me in the past few years since that evening have been highly empathic. So clearly something is happening beyond my control, at least beyond my conscious desires, certainly, that I needed to really master and get really good at, if not master, being empathic, being highly sensitive in a world, like you said, that typically doesn't really honor people who are really sensitive, especially men. Wow. What had you been doing up until then, Dave? I was a medical intuitive. I had done really well. Like you mentioned, I shared the bill with Deepak Chopra. I had a well-selling book. And, um, you know, so I, it wasn't a complete shift, but it was definitely a re-steering, uh, if, if you will, to be more focused on this specific niche. Prior to that, I really wasn't very aware of empathically transmitted illness and pain. But in that moment, it became really clear. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, certainly I'm seeing it in the literature coming across my desk, is that more and more people are having not just a conscious awakening, but an intuitive awakening. It's like their whole energy field is exploding open and they're connecting at levels that people don't normally think of you know, uh, other dimensions, the, the sort of global mind. Do you think that there is a rise in empathic illness because people are just opening up their fields? I think so, yeah. Uh, it's hard to obviously quantify specifically scientifically, but it does appear that way. It appears that as things are speeding up, uh, we become more and more sensitive. Uh, I have this thing called an ER, an empathic rating and I've worked with people pretty much on a 50 to 90 scale, and I'll just explain that briefly. Meaning if someone, if I can hear or intuit that they're dealing with 50, that means half of what they're dealing with typically is not theirs. So their symptoms are someone else's. Mm -hmm. And the people that are at the 90 scale often use the phrase earth intuitive, which I thought was pretty interesting. The first person that uh, used that phrase told me she could feel the earthquake in Turkey before it happened and she was here in the States. Wow. So that explains pretty almost literally uh, earth sensitivity and, you know, and everywhere in between some people, I, mean, I think all of us have some degree of ESP or psychic abilities and et cetera. Sixth sensory abilities maybe is the best way to, to group mm -hmm. all those in. But yeah, it's, it's definitely becoming more prominent and uh, I'm really seeing a lot of, pains and illness that are even diagnosed here in the West that are really empathically transmitted. And what I've seen is unless they're really dealt with as an empathic transmission, the person pretty much never gets better. Now, 
We do know the effect of stress on people's health. So this is a kind of stress that's transmitted or picked up. Mm -hmm. Is it usually from people who are close to you? It can be. Uh, if, if you mean close physically, it can be and it doesn't need to be at the same time. Clearly, it would be more, uh, more opportunities if someone's really close. But I've had people say things like, yeah, I moved across country to get away from my family. They were driving me crazy. And they would still drive the person crazy, even though they'd be 3,000 miles away. They were so sensitive that they were feeling, okay, my dad's stressed today. My mom's dealing with depression or whatever it is. They could still feel it. So physical distance, not such a big deal. But I have noticed when there's an emotional, spiritual, energetic connection, those are more of a concern. That was actually the, the sense in which I meant close. I meant that there was some sort of relationship, either a family or a love relationship, work perhaps, or, or even a client. Mm -hmm. More often than not, yes. Mm -hmm. but, and there are those that are superly, I don't know if that's quite a word, <laughs> super, <laughs> super high sensitive in that 80 to 90% range. And they usually can feel things that are in cultural, in lineage, in um, uh, national and even worldly, and like you said earlier, even multi-dimensional. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and what proportion of the people that you have come across have that extreme level of sensitivity? Hmm. Probably maybe 20% range. It's really? A, that high? Yeah. Give or take, yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> they find me. Very, they find me. <laughs> And the interesting thing about working with intuitives is I don't necessarily need to advertise in the traditional sense. I do I do some degree, but because they're intuitive, they just pick up on things. <laughs> I hear so often people, you know, just see the name of a book, just see my name, just see my picture and just know that I have something that they, that will, they will find beneficial. Wow. That they don't get elsewhere. It's really amazing sometimes the stories that people come I hear I went to a wedding in Santa Monica uh, last summer and I kind of went there with the intention of not really talking about business even though it is fun I just wanted to leave it all behind and first person that talked to me said hey what do you do and I kind of sat for a moment in my <laughs> little ego mind saying ah not again uh, but then I realized she was very wide open and very inquisitive and very real and it just broke down my defenses. And I said, okay, I told her what I did. And she said, oh, you're a writer. What would you write? And I told her. And she said, my friend just gave me that book. <laughs> oh, really? So then she's like, here I am meeting the author, you know, a thousand miles away from where he lives at this random event. It was just, you know, things like that happen all the time. It's just bizarre and kind of funny. <laughs> and yeah. Fun. <laughs> so um, what would be the the general approach that you take to you know we're we're kind of close to our break so i don't want to go into a long answer yet but um what is the general approach that you take to helping people um build up their defenses okay well there's a five-step process that literally came to me out of necessity especially after that earlier event, uh, I needed to find a way to prevent this kind of empathic transmission. Now, were you experiencing this empathic transmission from your clients? 
I was, but wasn't very conscious of it. Ah. I I sort of thought it was normal. I remember years back talking to someone and having some experiences, practicing being really open and flowing as opposed to anything else, and still having good energy afterwards. But it's always well. Hold that thought because we're going to take a break. I am speaking with Dave Markowitz, the author of Self Care for the Self Aware. We'll be right back. The best of holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Live with Medium Lisa Phoenix, mediumship messages and musings, explores mediumship and all things metaphysical. Lisa Phoenix invites you to reach above and beyond your everyday experiences to explore new dimensions in the spirit world. She will do live readings to connect callers to their loved ones in spirit, shares engaging stories and teachings from her own personal experience, and will have intriguing conversations with other mediums, spiritual teachers, and healers to help you understand the metaphysical world so you can connect to these forces in your day-to-day life. Join your hosts on this magical and metaphysical journey into the world of spirit every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Are you trying to get from point A to point B and need a little advice? Connect with the counselors at Ohm Times Advisors. Whether you're looking for a life coach or a spiritual intuitive, the advisors participating at advisors.omtimes.com were carefully chosen based on their gifts, skills, and professionalism. Ohm Times Advisors, connecting you with the best advisors in the business. What if living didn't have to be so serious? What if you could move beyond your problems with greater confidence and ease than you've ever imagined? Throw your labels out the window and join the irreverent therapist for practical tips and a very different way of approaching the changes you would like to create. Marilyn Bradford and Pam Hodling have empowered hundreds of people to come out of self-judgment, quit looking to experts, and begin to create the lives they desire. Join us Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Irreverent Therapist Show. Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. And we are back. I'm Miriam Knight speaking with Dave Markowitz, the author of Self-Care for the Self-Aware. We were speaking about this whole question of empathic illness or taking on issues from somebody else that are from outside of you that are somehow affecting your own health, your own energy, your own mind, um, peace of mind. So Dave, um, actually, that's a good question. How do these empathic kind of attachments typically manifest themselves in the body? Well, it can really vary from a minor ache or a pain to something much more serious. The people that I typically attract are dealing with, and I'm going to use the air quote here because I'm not legally allowed to legally treat any of these, but they come to me with symptoms of depression, 
anxiety, fibromyalgia, and chronic fatigue. Those are the big four. Now, there's a lot of other ones, but those are the ones that people really don't get the results that they want elsewhere and come to me for. And what I've found, especially something like chronic fatigue, if you think about it, you know, yeah, on a physical level, if you're if you would just decide, even just for fun, to carry literally carry someone on your back, how long can you go? You're not going to run a marathon. You're going to get tired much quicker than with them not. Now, picture that metaphysically. If you're holding one or several people's energy and it keeps building up and you don't work with it well, how do you not be tired? How do you not be confused? How do you not be anxious? You know, if it's affecting your mental body, how do you not be lethargic? Uh, how do you not be depressed if you can feel the sadness of the world and or someone close to you? So it's actually more logical than not to me. Um, mm. But many people come with different things. And I also do... Uh, have tended to answer a lot, work with a lot of healers who are struggling in their business. And it's very related, you know, how you are internally affects everything outside of you. And so if someone is stuck and carrying a lot of other people's energy, they really can't thrive in any area of their life. Typically, you know, some do in some and some do in others, of course, but, you know, to be able to open to the gifts of the universe, including your own intuitive abilities and your own empathic abilities in a way that actually doesn't overwhelm you, then you're onto something. That's when the magic happens. Well, I think many people um, are discovering healing abilities as part of their awakening uh, process. And I think what you're saying is so important that, you know, when, when you've had an awakening experience, you... You just want to share this love with everyone. You want to heal the world. You want to do good in the world. And too often we end up taking on the pain of the world, you know, and that doesn't do either you or the person that you're trying to help any good. You need to learn techniques for supporting yourself, for channeling that energy through you, but not holding on to that. And that's why Dave's book is so good. His Self-Care for the Self-Aware shows you techniques for being able to do your healing practice without internalizing that pain and having to pay the price later. Dave, um, what? how did you actually discover these techniques? And give us an example of one. Okay. Before I even go there, I was like, that was really beautifully said. <laughs> was, I, I, I should quote that and make it the beginning of my next book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry. The question was, how to, what are the techniques? Uh, basically, there's a five-step process. The first two are about prevention. And this is super important because if someone is, and I'll use the colloquial, if someone is a walking sponge before a session, I could do the most amazing, potentially transformative energy healing work ever created and known to man or beyond. But if you're still a sponge at the end of the session, you're probably going to recreate whatever it is that we cleared. And this is why a lot of people that I work with have been searching and searching and searching next book, next practitioner, next workshop. It goes on and on and on. So the preventative aspect is super important. And the first step in that preventative is really what you just said, knowing true responsibility, recognizing at any given moment, are we being operated by our pattern or our higher truth? 
And the pattern often is that sense of responsibility. I need to fix this person. I need to help that person. I need to do blank, blank, blank. Well, it may be a beautiful intention, but if it's coming from need, it's probably not your higher self speaking. And like you said, it actually affects negatively both the practitioner in this case, or even the good friend, as well as the person who it's being taken from. So it's, it really is a lose-lose, even though it's a really good intention. We want to help people, and it's beautiful. The people I work with are nurturing, they're caring, they're compassionate, they're beautiful souls, but they're in a lot of pain because they're not able to really decipher what's theirs, what's not theirs, and therefore unable to heal it. Mm. So uh, first step is always knowing and acting from true responsibility. And of course, that's, it's much more detailed in the book, but that's the quick summary of it. Mm-hmm. Have you any sense of where we are going you know, as, as a society in terms of recognizing our abilities? You say that people come to you because they're intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, are you seeing a, a difference in the kind of intuition that people are opening to? Well, I think when it's combined with the over-empathic nature and that combined with sense of responsibility, it does create some pretty heavy situations. Uh, so it is, I think as we're expanding and as we're getting more and more aware of these things and as sensitive or sensitivity is a more accepted as a norm and not something to fix, I think then we can all really begin to heal the planet and mm. which is, you know, under, you know, and really knowing the true motivation, not just the intention, what's the energy under the intention? The intention is, is usually really good for most people. Uh, well, that, we're not for a moment suggesting that people stop being empathic. In fact, that's what we want to encourage everywhere among everyone. And, and I think we're seeing that, we're, yeah. you know, in, in the rallies that are coming out onto the street, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, after tragedies like Baltimore or whatever. Um, but people are realizing that, yes, they are their brother's keeper. That we're all in this together. So empathy is good. What yes. you're saying is that we must kind of have a, a way of releasing the energy that builds up. Because I, I know just listening to the news, you get this buildup of negative energy inside. How do you release that? Well, um, that's another process, but I think even more important than learning to release it is learning to prevent it in the first place. So like you said, empathy is a really amazing skill. And it's not like we're telling people to not use it. But what I'm, my focus really is fine-tuning it so that it's a gift and not a burden. If you do that well, you don't even need to worry about releasing. Uh, now, most people I work with have had years, if not decades, of accumulated energy that have manifested in physical and tangible uh, pains and illness, mental, physical, etc. Those things we do need to release because they're not serving anyone, obviously. But ultimately, it's about prevention so that you can use the empathic abilities and know what to do at all times. Use the intuitive ability to know what to say, to um, who to work with and how, right? Because we all want to 
more peaceful world. Um, but you know, that influx, like you said, in the news, uh, it's not really news, it's sensationalism. And if you, and I've worked with many people, many, many who just basically say, I can't watch the news. And I quote uh, a Swami that I heard speak years back. He said, if you want to be happy, don't watch the news. Don't read newspapers, and don't <laughs> read magazines. Now, it doesn't mean to be ignorant of what's happening in the world, of course, but to uh, really work with that energy in a healthy way, as opposed to the old pattern that says, I'm responsible. You know, I, Dave, am not responsible for what happened in Baltimore. Now, yes, we all are connected and this is a very fine delineation metaphysically we're connected physically we're not and it's for a good reason this is where a lot of the new age community gets tripped up we say we're all one so if that person is in pain i'm in pain so well if you're taking on that person's pain you can't help them Mm. you can feel what they're feeling for a moment if that helps you connect with them and i teach people how to do that but if you take it on you're not helping you or them so it's a very important delineation Physically, we're not all one, and it's for a reason. There are benefits of that. It's like they say on the airlines, if the oxygen masks mm-hmm. drop, you put it on yourself first before you start helping yeah. other people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Even your, even your little baby. You know, it, it's, you know, it sounds almost mean at first response because we're so trained to give and to be nurturing, yeah. uh, especially certain generations, et cetera, you know, certain uh, sure. demographics more than others. Uh, Dave, what uh, is your website? Where can people find out more about you or connect with you? It's my name, which is Dave, D-A-V-E, Markowitz, M-A-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z.com. And mm-hmm. everything's on there about the book and sessions and workshops and currently doing uh immersions, two-month immersions, which have been really, really powerful. Uh, groups of four on the telephone. I'll be doing more of those come fall. So, Are those ge- geared toward healers? Not necessarily. Oh. Uh, really, anyone that needs to find or wants to be able to fine-tune their empathic abilities so that it's a gift and not a burden. And sometimes just seeing other people you know, going through similar situations is so confirming and validating. Uh, so many of the people that reach out to me th- really, truly feel that they're alone in this world that no one gets them. And I, you know, it's just the opposite. You know, there's a recent study that said approximately 20% of the people in the States, I had heard 40 million intuitively years, uh, a few years ago, are really highly sensitive. And it affects us in dramatic ways sometimes, and sometimes very minor ways, but without the conscious awareness of that's even happening, then we're a victim, then we fall prey to what's happening. Well, we don't want any victims here. So get Dave's book, Self-Care for the Self-Aware. We've been speaking with Dave Markowitz. Stay with us and we'll be right back with another guest after the break. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Bringing a more conscious lifestyle to your world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Circle of Hearts Radio is a sanctuary on the airwaves. Join me, Grandmother Elia, in the circle on Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, as I share information to both enlighten and nourish your soul. 
Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. OM Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single OM Times endeavor. Host your show with OM Times Radio Network. Have you ever wondered how to change your love paradigm? The secret key is finding a love partnership, not just a regular connection. How do you find these? Through conscious relationships. Ascending Hearts Dating is a dating site for people like you that believes in second chances and a different type of spiritual connection. Try Ascending Hearts for free today at AscendingHearts.com and change your love paradigm. Ascending Hearts, the premier dating community for the spiritually awake. Welcome to the gathering around my kitchen table on Equilarium FM, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join my guests as we integrate spirituality into everyday reality with vibrant conversations, inspired interviews, and my latest channeled guidance to inspire and brighten your day. I'm Claire Johnson, and together we'll be raising vibrations across the nations. Your conscious connection to a more mindful world. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. And we are back with our next guest, Johnny Gray. Now, Johnny is a doctor of transpersonal psychology, a past life regression therapist, meditation channeler, and author. For more than two decades, she has worked with tens of thousands of individuals and groups, helping them to realize their whole self by consistently building an authentic relationship with their soul. Johnny's book, Conduit, A Love Story, Before, During, and Afterlife, is the true story of her ongoing relationship with her son, who was killed by a car at age 22. James Redfield said about this book that Conduit is a poetic manual for understanding all the losses and confusing moments of this earthly existence and seeing them in the crystal clear light of the afterlife. Welcome, Johnny. Thank you for joining us. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Miriam. Now, Johnny, as a PhD in psychology, what on earth led you to work with past life regression? <laughs> oh, great question. The um, psychology degree is transpersonal psychology. So for anybody who understands transpersonal it is working with the realms of why we do what we do, which is the understanding of psychology, but from a grander perspective. For some people, that is a religious perspective. For others, it's, it's their innate belief system. And for the most part, the work I do is beyond simply the personality. So we're working with the spirit. We're working with the soul. And, and how we do that is, is often done through meditation. For some people, it's uh, hypnotherapy. For other people, it's channeling. It's, it's working with near-death experiences, life after death, life before death. So it actually all dovetails together beautifully. Before your son passed, uh, were you open to these realms? Yes. Uh, as I mentioned in my book, Conduit, it was my very young son. He would have been about two and three years old who pushed me into this direction. So I was um, always interested in understanding, uh, reincarna- understanding reincarnation, 
uh, reading about what our soul was, reading channeled works then. But it was my very young son who was hinting and suggesting and putting books, uh, giggling and tossing books into my lap at our local library, uh, all about understanding uh, regression work, which I really didn't know anything about. Uh, and at that point, then, I, I knew that I needed to further along my education. Um, and uh, in hindsight, I have the understanding of why that was necessary. Mm. So you had a very special bond with him on a number of dimensions uh, from from very earliest years. A- absolutely. In fact, a- again, as I speak about in my book, Conduit, that hindsight perspective gave me the ability, Miriam, to recognize um, my son in, in the role of son and parent, yes, but the soul-to-soul relationship that I had had with him in other lifetimes that I had had with him in this physical incarnation before he was born. He was born just after my 30th birthday, and I absolutely remember the energetic connection that I was having with him before he was born, picked up on it even more so when he was in physical form for 22 years, and then it's been almost three years now since his transition, I've been able to absolutely tie together the greater understanding of of how we walk soul to soul, not just Connor and I, uh, but many, many people, of course, can become more aware of their soul-to-soul relationship, that they are more than just the roles they play, parent, son, husband, wife, uh, that they are the soul-to-soul relationship. So I use the, the transition of my son, not use it, that's probably a poor choice of word, but I, I illustrate how this transition that he went through actually gives us the opportunity to see the soul-to-soul relationship in a grander form. Very difficult to only see it when it's in physical form. So that's why the subtitle of the book is A Love Story Before, During, and After Life. And as an illustration for others to start to see their relationship with someone in that grander context that it truly belongs in. When you reach that level of appreciation of the soul level or the afterlife, how does that change a person? Uh, wonderful question. The, the understanding changes how you have a relationship, not just with that person, but how you have a relationship with anything and everything. So the work that I do as a transpersonal psychologist is all about cultivating your relationship with your soul, with universal soul, so that you are uh, uh, um, bridging that gap between the three-dimensional human experience only with you know, the assumptions and the expectations and the, the linear logical belief system that accompanies it with the greater soul reality that also exists as simultaneous realities. And so it is easier for us human beings to be able to have this understanding in relationship with another person, which is why in our society we are so oriented towards being in love, into finding our soulmate, into having a child. So we want to have that other person as the reflection, as the external reflection of our soul, of our worth, of our 
of ourselves as a love being. And, and so to cultivate the work as an individual and then to really recognize it, that it's happening out here in our relationships really pulls it together for us mortal human beings who really do want to be able to see it internally, feel it internally, and see it reflected externally. Hmm. Now, you say that you're a meditation channeler. Yes. First of all, what does that mean? Um, the, the meditations that I have taught and uh, I train others to do and I uh, put into all my programs of study, uh, the meditations are not guided visualizations. That would imply that they are um, more contrived, I would say. They're not ancient forms of meditation. They are very much channeled from uh, a source of uh, connectivity that I have to non-physical beings. And the, the meditations, therefore, are nothing that would, uh, would be pre-written or pre-scripted or pre-even thought out. I channel personal meditations for um, people in the groups and meditations, um, memberships that I have on ongoing basis. Uh-huh. I sit down in front of my microphone and I start channeling out exactly what they need at this time and the current energy, where they are specifically, whether I've ever met these people or not. But they do come through as meditations, which I, I find fascinating, Miriam. I'm, I'm not a psychic. I don't profess to be a medium, uh, although, of course, those skill developments are there. It is that they come through, the channel co- channeling comes through in meditation form as though it's laying the foundation for the person I'm channeling for or the group I'm channeling for. It, it lays the divine messages down in, into a, a depth that they would have attained through the meditation process. So I do think of them as divine messages that are, uh, that are encompassed in a meditation format. I, people have said over the years how much deeper they connect with them because it is as though, in their words, uh, the messages are completely for them. They're not just feel-good meditations. They're not just for physical reasons, you know, to mm-hmm. lower the heart rate and, and, and have all the physical medical benefits of meditation. They are very much divine messages that are, we can call them universal, but they are also aligned specifically with those that I am doing the meditations for. And you do those in, in uh, face-to-face groups or on the web or what? Great question. I did for years. For many years, I did them face-to-face in ongoing groups, you know, whether they were 20 people or 100 people, uh, on a regular basis. Um, and since the transition of my son, that elevated my work as an energetic worker um, to the place where I no longer, I hadn't yet, no longer felt the need to do them in person, but rather to stretch that opportunity that we all have to connect energetically. And so I do these, as I said, in recordings, so I record them. Uh, and send them out as MP3. So people do them in a mobile way. They do them from their phone. They do them from their laptop. They do them from their mobile devo- devices of every kind. And I've done, I do them live on the telephone, of course, or on Skype for people, for clients, for one-on-one. And I, it's time. It's been almost three years. It's time to start doing them live again. But because it's energetic, we don't need to be live to do this work. You and I are having a perfectly intimate conversation and we don't have to be sitting in front of each other. So we know how 
how conversations can be done with our modern technology. Well, energetic channeled meditations, for example, or regression work we're doing does even much better when we're not face-to-face, when we don't have the physicalness there, when we can move deeper into the energetics. And, of course, it's understandable for the person, you know, who's having, who's going through the meditation experience. They're in their own home. They have the sights and smells and and temperature and sure. that they're so yeah they're so used to they don't have to mm, you know alter mm-hmm. their physical reality. So Johnny, want- where where <laughs> will people find uh, you? How do they connect with with your work? With my works and my offerings and my book and all that is all through my website at drjohnnygray.com. D R J O N N I G R A Y dot com. Everything is there. Uh, and there's no period after doctor, right? Correct. Right. One word, all lowercase, yep. My goodness. Um, so would you like to leave our listeners with a message? Oh, so lovely, Miriam. Thank you very much. The, the strongest message that I would love to leave read, uh, listeners with is the difference between the assumed roles that we all play on the planet, the roles that we have as you know, boss and employee, as as parent, as child, as husband and wife and sister and brother. These are beautiful roles we play, but they are they are a limitation in that they are only the roles. And that the next level for anyone who is wanting to expand their reality, their level of living life would be to start moving more towards soul to soul relationship. And that is a life journey. That is a soul journey that it's not a short fix. There's not a how-to. There's more a process of aligning with soul, cultivating one's relationship with one's soul. That's really beautiful. Well, we've been speaking with Dr. Johnny Gray, and her website is drjohnny, J-O-N-N-I, gray, G-R-A-Y, dot com. And Her book is called Conduit. Johnny, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Miriam. Thank you. We'll be right back with our last guest after these messages. Free your mind. Expand your soul. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. If you remember living fearlessly, joyfully, and in a world filled with adventure, happiness, pleasure, and unbridled living, then this show is for you. Join me, Dame Nicole Brandon, as I bring you the world's top experts in wealth, creativity, flow, seat-edging technology, space, wellness, health, love, lust, and passion, all merging together each week here at the Hub of Happiness. Mondays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time and 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Passionate Living, where you can ride on the magic carpet ride of living and learn how to lead a passionately wild, exciting, and outrageously amazing life. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. 
Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit humanityhealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Do you have time to read that inspiring book or that blog post you've been meaning to get to? In your busy world, how do you improve yourself and keep your life going? I'm Lisa Kay, and my Between Heaven and Earth radio show can transform your life just by listening. Be uplifted with inspiring topics, positive stories, and ideas that really work. Between Heaven and Earth radio is conscious living for your soul. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. A conscious lifestyle for a mindful life. Om Times Radio. IOM FM. Welcome back, and we are back with our next guest, Alan Joshua. Now, that is his pen name because he's a practicing clinical psychologist with a background in forensic psychology. He has worked in a state penitentiary and mental institution, a sleep and neurophysiology laboratory, and a pain management center. He has always been fascinated with creativity and the so-called paranormal abilities. He even got involved with research into parapsychology under Stanley Krippner and used hypnosis to explore reincarnation and paranormal healing abilities among a wide range of practitioners. He even has a shriveled, mummified banana that was brought to him through psychokinesis. My goodness gracious. Now, in his clinical practice, clients have related near-death and out-of-body experiences and all kinds of phenomena. And he has published many nonfiction journal articles, and he now has published his debut science fiction paranormal mystery and thriller called The Shiva Syndrome. So welcome, Alan. Hello, Miriam. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, The Shiva Syndrome. I just had a quick look at it. It looks fascinating. How did you first discover the whole area of paranormal or parapsychology, considering that you're also a clinical psychologist? Um, well, it's very difficult to say because it's like looking back through uh, a misty past. Um, but I was raised in a neighborhood where we uh, were surrounded by a great many people who came from uh, the southern regions, and they brought with them uh, superstitions and beliefs that to me at the time during childhood seemed rather silly. Um, and I couldn't understand them. Later, I discovered that my mother's mother was actually um, a tea leaf reader. And so uh, that kind of lended uh, a certain credibility to what I was hearing. But, of course, there was still a great deal of doubt as to the reality of it. Um, that, I think, is the beginning um, tied in with perhaps my exposure to uh, fantasy as a child, uh, later science fiction uh, novels that I began to read. Um, And I think it was also triggered by the first book I remember taking out of elementary school's library, Ab the Caveman. 
believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I want, I'm just wondering as you're speaking, because I've always been drawn to science fiction as well, and I'm wondering if people who have kind of crypto-intuitive abilities um, just want to believe, want to discover the magic in the world, and that's why we're drawn to, to this kind of thing. Now, have you uh, yourself, since your mother was a tea leaf reader, have you experienced intuitive abilities in yourself? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I can give you a couple of examples if you'd like. Um, One was um, a number of years ago, um, I was in a situation where I had a desperate need of uh, some help and I had a dream in which I saw a friend who appeared very vividly in the dream. Um, when I awakened the next morning, the image was so powerful and so insistent uh, that I, I just felt a strong urge to call her the next day. She was uh, shocked to hear from me because she told me that she had had me on her mind the, next, the day before. And without my asking, she offered the very help I needed. Fascinating. Uh, That was far beyond chance, far beyond probability. And was that uh, sort of the beginning of your opening to the possibility of intuitive connection, or were you still kicking and screaming? Well, no, actually, um, I had always had a, a kind of a sense of intuition um, that derived from my early uh, childhood. Uh, I didn't know what to call it then. Uh, I think I probably used terms like street smarts or whatever, Mm -hmm. or vibrations, Um, but I later learned to recognize and respect the fact that it was indeed, you know, some form of intuition. You know, you were working in a state penitentiary and mental institution, and I have this kind of sneaking suspicion that a lot of people who may be diagnosed as schizophrenic are are actually feeling the bleed through from other dimensions. Do you think that that's a valid supposition? Well, I, I think that it, it can be one of many hypotheses. Uh, we can speculate about that as a possibility that, that we don't want to get caught up in, over, in, in, in rigid classification of people who end up in mental institutions uh, and say, for example, all schizophrenia is alike. That doesn't really make very much sense. So I would say that there are some individuals um, who may very well fit the category that you're describing and others who don't, but we just don't have the discrimination mm-hmm. to be able to know which is which. Right. But Although I should say, I just had a thought, um, I was running a program at one point that was composed entirely of people with uh, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And on a couple of occasions, uh, there were uh, patients who actually told me without my asking exactly what I was thinking. Really? Really, yes. Uh Uh-huh. 
So it might just be that the the veil is pretty thin for them, and maybe they just don't know how to cope with it. That's very possible. I think for many of us that's true as well, that when we get bleed-throughs of different kinds, uh, one of uh, my friends is uh, Jim Matlock, who's involved in reincarnation research, um, and when we get bleed-throughs, uh, we just don't know necessarily what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's a cultural bias that has kind of influenced us negatively through our parents. Other times we may have more enlightened parents who uh, don't reject it and, and help us along and perhaps take us to see the right people. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your book. Why did you decide to write a fiction, uh, fictional book now? Well, um, it wasn't... I would say that it goes back a number of years. Um, I've been involved in in quite a bit of psychological testing and report writing, as well as my academics. And the writings tend to be very dry and dehumanizing, especially some of the forensic work that I did where it was necessary to prevent, present only the facts to, uh, to the court. And... Uh, this forced me into a very linear, logical uh, trap uh, that was uh, depleting me of uh, a strongly needed urge to break free of those limitations. And rather than give up the work that I was doing, I was able to expand in my personal time uh, into a more imaginative uh, expression and that's where I began to incorporate not only fact, but I also extrapolated into fiction. So it became a kind of a balancing act for me. Mm-hmm. And what do you hope that this uh, book, The Shiva Syndrome, will accomplish? Well, uh, I would first I would say that um, I would like to make to inform uh, the readers. Um, of the reality of some of these so-called anomalous abilities uh, that that individuals, all of us actually, have to some extent. And uh, many people uh, who are strongly uh, motivated to buy books on vampires and zombies and uh, shapeshifters, etc., whatever happens to be popular, um, are not necessarily aware of the real and for me the much more exciting realities of the research that's been done in parapsychology. So I made the decision to uh, take my background in nonfiction writing, blend it with the creative side of myself, which needed airing, <laughs> and to put it out there in a way that could entice people to possibly look into those books that exist. Wonderful. So Some of the books that I, I would recommend, for example, are uh, Lynn McTaggart's The Intention Experiment, uh-huh. uh, Psychic Exploration by the Astronaut Edgar Mitchell, uh, Dean Radin's Supernormal, 
and of course Stanley Krippner's work, uh, Varieties of Anomalous Experience. Well, all of these books and people are on our website, ncreview.com, a little uh, plug. And what is your website? Uh, my website is um, Alan, uh, Joshua, um, dot com. And um, is it one word or is it Alan hyphen or underscore? I believe it's. I'm, I don't usually <laughs> check okay. those things. Well, just do a <laughs> search it's, it's for Alan Joshua one word dot com. Right. Thank you so much for being with us, Alan. Um, and I hope you all will join me next week to meet more rising stars of the new consciousness. Until well, then, it was a pleasure, Marion. Thank you. Until Take then, care. my friends, Bye. shine brightly. We really need your life. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.